0: Look, as we celebrate Jesus' coming, we're going to look into Luke's gospel today, specifically the second chapter. Over the course of the last few weeks, we've seen all of these characters and these people genuinely arrive on the scene of the Christmas drama. And I mean that to say that we've looked at Zechariah and Mary, these people who, in Luke chapter 1, we get this picture of who, who are working as servants, and he, Zechariah is helping in the temple, and he's a priest, and they are doing these priestly duties, and they're doing all the things that they feel like God has called them to do in life, and yet they feel as if they wonder if God remembers them. Does he really see them doing the things that they're doing? Does he take notice of them? we find out that he works in the silence. And we look at Mary as one who is this one who's received God's promises and his sovereign truth, and yet she has to trust and continue to walk with him to see these things come to fruition before her eyes. We looked at the story of the Magi, these people who go, go to seek after Jesus who is born and have to lean into their faith rather than the fear of those oppressing them. And then last week we spent time looking at the shepherds. These people that are genuinely outsiders that God comes to with the proclamation of his son. Not, not the king, not that one governing Syria, the ones we're going to read about here in a moment. Instead, he comes to these lowly outsiders, these shepherds. And then the culmination of all of this in the birth of Jesus is found in so many ways in verse 12, which we're going to look at. So as we read together in a moment, you're going to want to look at verse 12 and this word specifically, the word sign, because God is doing something incredibly powerful with this one little word in this passage. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 12. It says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for You you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together, thanks be to God. Um, we're people, uh, and I think you could probably say this with me, that, that we're people that look for signs. We want signs, we want indicators, we want things that would give us some measure of certainty in life. And this happens for us, I think, beginning at a really, really young age. And here's kind of maybe one small example I found of that recently. I've probably listened to more Christmas music and a variety of Christmas music this year than I ever have. And I've, I think I've listened to more intently maybe than ever at some of the lyrics. Uh, and one of the songs that's kind of stuck with me in this season uh, has been this song that, that Nat King Cole Penn called, it's really appropriate, the Christmas song. Anybody know this song? Like, some of us know it as chestnuts roasting on an open fire, right? And we don't do that anymore. Uh, but it's one of those Christmas songs that I've always loved because I was always jealous of kind of the whole, like, ambiance and the, and the idea of everything. Because, like, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, right? And most of my life, I've had, like, the 75-degree Christmas uh, where it wasn't, didn't really feel that magical, that white Christmas thing, and quite... Frankly, now that everyone I did see today came in kind of dressed up like Eskimos, uh, I'm, I'm kind of happy to trade back, and I think I'd take 75 and sunny again instead of this. But uh, look, one line in that song has really caught me and, and really helped me Think about the way that we as people want a sign. We want a picture. We want to know that something good is coming our way. And it's this line in the song. It says, every mother's child is going to try, what? To see if reindeer really know how to fly. When I listen to that lyric, it dawns on me that even from the youngest of ages, we're people that are always looking for something that's going to tell me what the future may bring. And that tells me a couple of things. One, that we're not certain of the future. And two, that we are so dependent and so desperate that we're looking for anything to tell us what's coming our way is going to be okay. That we're going to be able to make it. In this passage that we see today, there's a large focus in Luke's gospel on the word Sign. He's drawing our attention to something in verse 12. And particularly, these are words that come from the angels to, very specifically, even though they're for us, they're to, they're directed to these shepherds. These shepherds who, if you were here Sunday, we, we kind of we were able to talk historically about shepherds. And I, I, my, my daughter was in a Christmas play where there were shepherds, and they were dressed up, and they were cute, and it was adorable, and it was amazing. And we kind of sort of see shepherds like that. Like when I think of shepherds, I think about a Charlie Brown Christmas Right? These are the kind of images at times that come into my mind in the Christmas season about shepherds. But the reality is that the life of a shepherd was hard, it was dirty, it was not looked upon favorably. And quite frankly, these shepherds were outcast in society. They were pushed to and beyond the margins of social life and existence. They were people that ultimately did an agrarian task far away from the bustling city important life of the rest of the world. They were genuinely outsiders, and the angels sent by the Lord come to them, not to Caesar Augustus, not to Cornelius, these famous and lauded people as a part of society, people who would be well-known and had authority. Instead, the angels come to these shepherds who are in a dark time, a hard job, a long season, and gives them this proclamation and ultimately gives them a sign. See, God's always been working in signs and wonders. You look through the Old Testament and the canon of Scripture, you can see even back to Genesis pictures of, signs of, indications of God working. Him redeeming His people, bringing them through the Exodus, bringing them out of the rule and the reign and the tyranny and the authority of Egypt. Redeeming his people from other nations that would continually oppress Israel all throughout the scriptures. And look into the book of Exodus. Look into Jeremiah. Look into Isaiah. Look into Daniel. All these prophetic books that describe the very signs and wonders of what God's done. And all of those signs, all of those wonders point to a final sign. One final sign to come and proclaim God's rule, his dominion, his authority, and his mercy and his grace And his love. But the incredible thing that God does is he doesn't give a sign just as a picture of what will be. He gives the sign of himself. Don't miss this. This is the only spot we'll really look at this afternoon. Verse 12. The sign is Jesus himself. This will be the sign. Right? A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The sign is the scenario that they're gonna walk into, this family with this woman who has given birth in a place that is precarious and not a normal place like an inn. but instead it's not just the scenario they see, but the sign is ultimately God Himself. In Luke's gospel, this word means an event that confirms or authenticates one's promise. Do you know what he's saying in this moment? that Jesus is the very promise of God to save and to redeem us. The sign of God's redemption and faithfulness is not just what he will do, but it's how he does it. It's through himself, Emmanuel, God with us. He comes to us and he takes on our flesh. He lives in perfect communion with the Father and then he dies and he sacrifices his life for us. He's raised from the dead so that you and I can experience, by the very power of God's Spirit, everlasting life through him. And here's the incredible thing about God throughout this entire story. With all of these characters, with all of these people, God sees Zechariah and Elizabeth with their need. He sees them in the midst of their need and their barrenness and their loneliness. And he helps them remember they're not forgotten. He sees Mary as one who does not understand, as we read earlier, how these things can come to pass. And he consoles her by the promise of his word and his spirit. These people, these magi that are traveling, he, he gives them the opportunity to trust in him, to rest in him. And he guides their journey so that they can experience Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. These shepherds are those who are lowly, those who are outside. And God uses these people to begin the proclamation of new life, that God now dwells with us. God comes to, he comes and he meets all these people. And if there's any indication that God loves us and wants to be with us and for us, it's this. God sees us in our weakness. He knows that we're people who need signs. If you're anything like me, this is is what I know about you. That God has proven his faithfulness to you again and again and again and again. And there's days when you still wonder if he sees you. There's days when you wonder if he's with you. There's days when you wonder, is he out for my good? Does he really love me? This is the sign for you. It's his son. It's Jesus. This is how God is incredible. He knows you're that weak and he meets you in your need. He knows I'm that weak. He knows I want a sign. I want a picture. I want evidence. And he comes to me and he gives me the sign. You know what the sign is? It's his son, Jesus. And it's for that reason I can have peace and joy and hope and experience love and mercy and grace. Not because of the ambiance of a season, not because of the weather, not because of the trappings, not because of the things we do, because God has given you and me himself. He has given us his son. The author of Hebrews says it in this way, and quite frankly, he kind of says it like the way the Christmas song says it. This line at the end of the Christmas song, if you're familiar with it, you know, chest roasting on open fire, the thing we opened with. Over and over repeated at the end is the words, though it's been said many times, many ways, what? Merry Christmas to you, right? It's a really simple set of words. But there actually is, I think, something really profound going on. Because what he's saying, the writer, is this, is that it's been said to you, Countless times, you've heard people say Merry Christmas to you over and over and over and over. We all said it to one another today. Throughout the course of this month, we've all said it to one another. There are some people who like set up their tree and are saying it to each other like before Thanksgiving's done, right? We've said these words, Merry Christmas to one another, a ton. But what he's saying in this song is that you've heard this from tons of people over and over and over again. But what I'm telling you is I'm saying this to you personally. I'm saying it to you in an intimate way. Merry Christmas to you. I'm proclaiming a message to you. The author of Hebrews says it in this way and he uses similar words. He says, long ago, this is Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. These are the stories that we find in Jeremiah and Isaiah in Micah, in Daniel, and throughout the canon, throughout the Old Testament. but This is what he says. But in these last days, this is how he's spoken to us. He has spoken to us by his Son. This is the sign that God has given us. His faithfulness, everything that he is, is wrapped up in this. The very life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's given that gift himself to you and me. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. And that's what we celebrate this, almost said it, caught myself, afternoon, not morning. Uh, Here's how we're going to celebrate that. This afternoon, we have a sign set before us. And Christ has come, but he's also given us and instructed us With a physical picture of his faithfulness. It's this bread, this meager bread, and this small cup are more than just tiny little things. They're more than a ritual that we just partake in. Instead, they are the very sign, the very proof of his goodness of his life and Jesus' sacrifice for us. This is how the Apostle Paul would describe it in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, uh, chapter or 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, would say this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And if we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's the incredible thing that we get to take part in today. We get to take part in professing, proclaiming that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Just as real as this bread is that you eat, that you feel on the back of your throat as you swallow so real was Christ's body broken for you. Just as real as this juice is that you feel going down your throat. As real as it is, so real was Christ's blood shed for you. Blood of the new covenant that restores you, enables you to experience life in God through the power of his spirit. We're going to have the opportunity to celebrate this together. And so those of you that are serving, uh, if you'll come to the tables now. And here's how we do this at Double Oak Community Church here in Chelsea. Uh, A couple of things we ask. Number one, this is a meal for people who have trusted in Christ. If you have repented of sins, believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his life, death, and resurrection for your salvation, then we would invite you to come to this table. And you don't have to be a member here Uh, if you're visiting or you're with family. uh, You don't have to be a member here to do that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, please, we urge you to come to this table and celebrate communion. If you have not trusted in Jesus... If you have not repented and believed in Jesus and what he's done for you, here's what I would urge you to see, that this is is not something you would want to partake in. It would would not really mean anything to you. It would just be a a ritual-type thing that you do. Instead, I would urge you to watch the people around you, people who come to the table and celebrate what Christ has done for them, and I would urge you to, to ask the Lord truly to reveal himself to you that you might believe. You might see his goodness and what he's done in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And you come have a conversation with myself and one of our elders, one of our deacons, people that are serving these tables, one of our pastors afterwards. That would be my urge and plea to you. Um, Here's the other thing we do about communion here at this church. Um, Every meal that I see Jesus partaking of in the scriptures, every time uh, that I see believers eating with one another, we all laugh and talk and kind of have a good time. And the kids that are in this service already beat us to the punch, right? They know how to do this. They know how to worship. They're talking. They're giggling. They're laughing. They're having a great time. Uh, when you come to this table, you're going to see people that I hope are doing the same. And I hope you and your family or your friends or those you gather with at this table do it in a way where you just enjoy it. Come and celebrate. This is, we can be 100% totally reverent, but we do not need to be somber. It's Christmas, for goodness sake. Let's celebrate what Christ has done for us. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we're going to take a moment uh, to pray together, and then I'd urge you to come to the table uh, as soon as you're ready. All right? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have come to us and that throughout Scripture... And Father, life, we've seen you give signs of your goodness, of your wonder, of your faithfulness, of your love and your mercy and your care to your people. And God, ultimately, that is all culminated in Jesus, yourself, the very Son of God. You came for us, God, and have given us not just a sign pointing to one, but Father, the sign in and of itself, Jesus, your Son who has redeemed us. Father, I pray that as we celebrate together, as we fellowship together, as we enjoy and partake of this bread and this cup, Father, that we would remember and proclaim together, Father, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and truly this is a sign indeed that Christ will come again. Father, meet us here in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as you're ready.